ended, you didn't leave us without help and you didn't leave us without hope. But you sent the Holy Spirit of God to live and to abide on the inside of us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to anoint us, to do the things that are before us to do with your grace and with power beyond our own strength. That you're working even now to strengthen each one in their inner man by the Holy Spirit of God. That we learn in this day more than ever before how to live from the inside out. The power for life and living doesn't come from the outside and bolster us from the outside, but it comes from within. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for strengthening us with that mighty power that we might have all that we need to fulfill your will and your plan in this generation. We thank you for that anointing that binds the brokenhearted, that sets the captive free, that brings healing to the sick. We thank you that you provided all that we need for this day and this hour. We thank you, Lord, that you are operating right now according to your glory and according to your mighty power, that you've released us from the law of sin and death, and you brought us into the place of your great love, which has height and depth and breadth. I thank you, Lord, the multifaceted love that you have showed towards us is to be revealed in this day. The power of that love, the strength of that love, the length of that love, the depth of that love, the height of that love. That that love on the inside of us might reflect out and show the very nature and strength of a loving God. God, we glorify you and we magnify you today. Holy Spirit, we thank you. You know every person. You know every situation. You are the one that knows their heart, their mind, their situations of life, what they've encountered in life, what they're encountering right now. I pray that you would cause an encounter with each, with each and every one, as only you can do, that we might experience your presence and your power, your mercy and your grace at the level that each one can receive it and know that they've encountered the spirit of the living God. And we give you the glory and the honor, the praise and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished by your word and your spirit in every heart and life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? It's great to see you this morning. For everybody who's joining us online, we are glad that you are with us this morning. For the Meeker campus, glad to have you with us. Praise the Lord. We're, I believe God has great things for us today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, just say this with me before you're seated. Say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Just say it again. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Say it one more time. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. If you believe that, you can be seated. Once again, it's good to see you all. Uh, this morning, as they said in the announcements, today is uh, the last official, if you call it that, day uh, that we have of prayer and fasting. But I encourage you right now, I mean, we could, say, you know, we could just say it like this, we're going to have a year of prayer and fasting, and that's just really up to you. Uh, you know, when we start off with 21 days of prayer and fasting or whatever time period that we set with prayer and fasting, it's not to be the only time that we set that aside. But it's really to help us corporately and with our mentality focused to put first things first and to know how important it is to pray. 
And I believe that today, uh, for 2021, prayer will be as important as it's ever been. For every individual, uh, uh, for the church as a body, prayer will be as important as it's ever been. And so I encourage you to continue in, in your praying, to be sensitive to seasons that God calls you to fast, to set aside something. And as Pastor Tasha started the year last year, uh, or last week, excuse me, and uh, uh, talked about that fasting, and uh, in Isaiah chapter 58, you can look at that. And so we don't want to just fast and, and really put ourselves uh, down and, and, and under simply to try to move God, but he says the fast should actually change us should change us. And so that's why we put aside something, whether it's food that dominates us or social media or, or, or caffeine or, or whatever it is that seems to just, you, you got to have it or else. And you learn to set that aside to make a change in you because there's things that God wants to do and he wants to interrupt in our life so that we can reach out to someone else, so that we can experience God's goodness and so in that place of prayer and that place of fasting, we begin to learn how to set things aside that need to be set aside at any given time and give God first place in our life. And so if he's first place in our life, it's not that he wants to strip everything from us. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to enjoy everyday life. But he doesn't want everyday life to take over and govern our life. He wants to be the Lord of our life. And prayer is such an important part of how we make him Lord of our life. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 10. And we're going to read through uh, verse 18. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Listen, that strength from the inner man, right now the power of his might, is something that will sustain you. It's something that will bolster you. It's something that will build you up. A few weeks ago, we went to Proverbs, uh, the 18th chapter and the 14th verse in the Amplified Bible that says that the strong spirit of a man will sustain him in bodily pain and trouble. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him in bodily pain and in trouble. But a weak one, who can withstand? This is not the time to be weak of spirit. This is not the time to be trying to figure out what's going on. As Alan said, wondering what in the world's happening. But right now is a time to strength, be strengthened in your spirit man. And one of the ways that we strengthen ourselves and become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might is certainly we'll read this by, by understanding the armor of God and clothing ourselves in the armor of God, but it's through prayer. Through prayer that we build up our inner man because we are fellowshipping with the father of spirits. Hebrews chapter 12 says that God is the father of spirits. And if we worship and we obey the father of spirits, it'll cause life to come to us. God's not a mind. God's not an emotion. God's not a body. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And sometimes to the mind, that seems really spooky and it seems really weird. And it seems like we're going to float above the ground. But Jesus woke up every single day and he put both feet on the ground. He got dressed like you and I get dressed. He brushed his teeth. He got ready. He was a human. He got every day, he put his feet on the ground. But he lived the best life possible. Jesus, being a man, didn't float above the ground. Certainly, he walked on water. He did some miraculous things. But mostly, every day, he just got up. And he went to do what 
he was called to do with both feet on the ground. But he did it in the best way possible. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he didn't sin. People tried to draw him away. People persecuted him. People spit on him. People talked him down. But he continued to navigate through every day to ultimately come and fulfill his purpose because he was strong spiritually. He didn't live to the emotion of the day. He didn't live to the feelings of the moment. He lived with purpose in his heart that was put there by God. Jesus was a man of prayer. We can see through the scripture that when pressures got tough and the things were pressing in, that Jesus would stay up a great while after everybody else had gone to bed. Jesus would rise early before most people had risen, and he began to communicate with his Father God. And you and I have been given that open access through the blood of Jesus to commune with God, to come to the very throne of grace and to commune with God. And so if you just really think, well, how do I become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? We began to enter into a deeper level of fellowship with him. To know the Spirit of God in an intimate and personal way. So as Paul prayed for the churches, that we would be strengthened with mighty power, with all patience and long-suffering with joy. There's a place of strength that causes us to face things with patience and with long-suffering, with joy. Why? Because we know the end is better than the thing that we're in right now. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. He said, my present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. He had the very same attitude of Jesus going to the cross, which was he despised the cross, the suffering of the cross and the shame for the joy that was set before him. The things that are upon us are temporal. And that we can get through all those things, but you can't get through them in the emotion of the day. If you live in the emotion of the day, there will be ups and downs. There will be anger. There will be anxiety. There will be stress. There will be worry. There will be fear that overcomes you. But it says in the presence of God, there's a fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there's pleasure evermore. I believe that right now, more than ever before, God wants the opening that we give him to strengthen us in such a way that it doesn't matter what comes. The Bible says that there's a day that's coming that anything that can be shaken will be shaken. But it's what can't be shaken that will remain. And God wants to strengthen us in such a place that when shaking goes on, that it's really the word of God and our life in the spirit and our relationship with God that remains. See, so many times shaking comes and our relationship with God is shaken. And when all the dust settles, what remains is us standing with worry and stress and confusion. It's not what stands is what stood with the Apostle Paul in Romans, the eighth chapter that says, listen, you can do all this to me, but nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. When his life was shaken, when his life was persecuted, when he was doubted, when he was followed around and people tried to undo what he was doing, he still said, you can't shake me. When he was shipwrecked, when he was stoned and left for dead, when he was thrown into prison, it still couldn't shake him. In the midnight hour, in the depths of the prison, after having been beaten, he began to sing praises to God. And there's really nobody that wants to say, you know what, I can't wait until I'm beaten and thrown into the deepest dungeon. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. Nobody covets and has faith to be beaten and thrown in the dungeon. But see, that was their thing to deal with, our thing to deal with. The, the result is, is that though that happened to them, they never left their understanding that all this doesn't compare with this relationship with God. And so even though we've just been beaten and thrown into the dungeon, we praise God. When you read it in Acts chapter 16, 
Guess what? God showed up. And the end was better than the beginning. And the jail shook and it shook open. And in that moment, they made decisions. They could have made decisions to get up and run and flee the jail. But you know what would have happened after that? They would have woke up in the morning and they would have chased them down. And so Paul, with great wisdom, and I believe with great joy, he knew who opened the prison. Certainly he went out and he got the jailer saved and the, 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 the jailer's family saved and their wounds were created. But when they came, when they came back, all the prisoners that were there, even the doors were open. And Paul began to settle the issue of who he was and, and why he was there. And he actually got a public apology. See, God is working something greater than we look at in the moment. And when we know God and we fellowship with God, we can have confidence in the moment that we are going through the moment to get to something that is far greater. And that far greater thing is that God might reveal his glory in you. If there's something different about us, as Alan said, that we don't get caught up and look just like the world does with all the stresses and all the worries and all the cares... But there's something being revealed in us of the strength of the glory of God. And it comes through prayer and it comes through that fellowship with God. And so let's just continue to read on here in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the strategies of the enemy. Put on the whole armor of God. Be strengthened in the power of God because the enemy has a strategy against you. The Bible says that he's roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that, where Peter says that, he says, resist him steadfast in the faith. He says here, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Be fully prepared for the days that are to come. If I can just put that in a nutshell. Be fully prepared. Be fully prepared for the days that are to come. And once you've fully prepared yourself, he says, praying always. Praying always. Not just during 10 days of prayer and fasting. Not just once a week. Praying always. I know people will say, how can I pray always? Right, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about getting into such a place of fellowship with God that no matter what the situation or the circumstance, it doesn't matter if it's morning or noonday or night, I am positioned and know that I have fellowship with my Father God. I'm not just crying out for him to show up somewhere. I have fellowship, daily fellowship with him. So praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all, with all supplication. Uh, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He goes on to say, and for me. And so I just want to talk a little bit this morning about praying. And there's a number of types of prayer. And one person said, said it like this. Praise is the highest form of prayer. Praise is the highest form of prayer. 
See, in the day when the enemy tries to push you down, prayer, praise is the highest form of prayer. The Bible promises that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. When something else is trying to dominate your life and overcome your life, whether it's worry, whether it's stress, whether it's anxiety, whether it's an offense towards someone else, and it is trying to control or govern over your life, praise breaks that and God becomes enthroned upon your praises. You begin to immediately break this thing being number one and the controlling factor in your life to praise the one who is greater than anything. To begin to praise and acknowledge him as the almighty God. Nothing coming into my life or against my life is mightier than my God. My faith is not in faith in other people. My faith is not placed in my own faith and my ability to believe God, but my belief and my faith is in a great and mighty God. My faith isn't in the outcome of an individual circumstance. My my faith is in what God has promised the outcome of my life to be. And when I see that and I see him, as the psalmist said, come and magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. See, when things try to exalt themselves in your life, when things try to be magnified in your life, then bigger than life, they're going to overcome you. He says, stop for a moment. And come and magnify the Lord with me. Now is the time to stop and not look and think that God is smaller than your circumstance and cry out, God, if you could possibly do anything about this huge situation. But it's beginning to magnify who he, who he, who he is. The interpretation of that tongue was who he is. I don't know why that. But to magnify who he is. And when you get done magnifying who he is and what he did, your situation begins to get smaller and God gets to be greater and hope that the turnaround of your situation will come. Not by the manipulation of man's hands, but by the power of God and knowing his love for you to finish what he started from the beginning and not have that thwarted by anything else. Another person said this, the higher we go in praise, the deeper we go in worship. The higher we go in praise, the deeper we go in worship. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, we come in, we, we, we set our section of the service and we call it praise and worship. But praise and worship aren't music. Music is a vehicle that helps us to praise and worship. He gives us things and a tune that helps us reside and stay on the inside of us. But praise and worship is something that comes from our heart. Not comes from a tune, it's something that comes from our heart. And the higher we exalt God, the deeper we begin to go in a depth of relationship with him. When we see the heights of what God has done for us, then we can also see the depths of his care and what he has planned for us. And the Bible says that deep calleth unto deep. That the depths of God is calling to the depths on the inside of us. The depths of God's flow is calling on the depths on the inside of us. It's calling us to something greater. I believe that God is calling us out. He's calling us unto himself. I believe that God is drawing us and wants to draw us into his very heart. Not an observation of him from out here, but an observing from the inward man to God's inward parts in his being, his thoughts and his intents to draw us to see things differently than we've ever seen them before. Not to be super spiritual or out there, but to be stronger and more stable than we've been before. 
not to be tossed with every wind of doctrine and every new thing that comes down the pike, whether it's a, a virus or whether it's an, an economic turn or whether it's a political term, that we understand that we are here as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, but our citizenship comes from heaven. The promise of our life and our eternity doesn't come from man, it comes from God. And so pray, prayer is praise, prayer is worship. I'm just going to give you a list of some things to think about what prayer is because prayer is not just bowing your knee once, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, that's a faith-filled prayer. <laughs> I don't know if you did that when we were kids. We always, that was our prayer. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless mom and dad and everybody else. No, it's more than just praying at bedtime about something. It's far-reaching. Prayer is fellowship with our Father God. Prayer is our need crying out for help. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. We understand physically that we need exercise, our, our muscles to grow, our muscles to develop, to keep ourselves healthy. We need exercise. But spiritually, many times, we don't do the spiritual exercises to become healthy and strong spiritually. But prayer is a spiritual exercise. Prayer is taking your place in the body of Christ. Every single one of us taking our place in a place of prayer, helps us to understand what God's will, what his giftings, what his callings are upon our life so that we fit and we find our place in the body of Christ. Prayer is carrying out God's will in the earth, praying out the things in front of us, praying God's will, as the Bible says, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, praying out the will of God, making intercession for the saints. Prayer is joining forces with God. Prayer is joining forces with God. Prayer is not just getting into his presence, but walking with him every day. Sometimes we just get into the presence of God for an hour and we leave that. But developing a lifestyle of prayer is understanding that I am walking and living with God's presence every single day. Wherever I go, wherever I am, that he goes with me. So I believe there's just a calling out right now. I believe God's calling us unto himself. He's calling us to the place that we might have fellowship with him. When Paul said there's many types of prayer, praying always with all kinds of prayer, there's many types of prayer, but the really beginning of our prayer life that will cause every other type of prayer to be strengthened is to know that place that prayer is fellowshipping with God the Father coming into that place. Pastor Tasha said last week that prayer has two facets. Prayer has a facet of devotion to God and it has business with God. And the prayer of faith that changes things and the prayer of faith that really is dynamic over things, the prayer of supplication and requesting for God, the prayer of intercession and standing in the gap for others, we can do all that but without the prayer that brings us into close communion and fellowship with God doesn't really lend itself to the success and power of the other prayers. And so God is drawing us to himself. God is really bringing us to a place where we don't just know his word, we don't just know about God. 
And in faith, as we walk in faith, we're not just in there just confessing his word for the reason of confessing his word. Because the whole intent is not to just know the word of God, but to know the person behind the word. When we know the person behind the word, we begin to know the intention that God had from the very beginning. When we begin to know those things, it's very important. It's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to know the author of that book. It's one thing you can read it inside out. You can try to implement the exact practices, but it's something about knowing the author of the book. You know, as we began some years ago to do curriculums, home school curriculums uh, uh, from John and Lisa Bevere, you know, we had a number of different home groups with, with their curriculum going. And, uh, you know, some of those people had questions about. And it's one thing to go through the curriculum and know the book, but I was able because I know the author. And there was a few times people asked questions and I said, you know what, just give me a minute with that. I'll talk to the author and find out what they say about it. There's questions presented, and because I knew the author, I could call John and I could say, John, we have this question in our home group. Could you answer this question for me? It's another thing to be a Christian and read the book, but God doesn't want us to just read the book and know the words and be able to repeat the words. He wants us to know the man, the person behind the words. He so wants us to know the person behind the words intimately and personally that whenever we have a question about that, we know we can go to him and he begins to open up and reveal to us the wisdom that is in that word, the application of that word for this very moment and the season that we live in. Prayer is not just a religious activity, but prayer is that fellowship and that communion with God and he's calling us to that place of knowing him. In 1 Timothy chapter one, Paul said this, he said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. See, the apostle Paul wasn't just going about his ministry for fame and fortune. He said, listen, what I'm doing right now has caused difficulty for me, but I'm not ashamed of the difficulty because I know the one, I know him in whom I have believed. I don't just believe in something that I don't know the person in whom I believe, but I know him whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. The Passion Bible says it like this, the confidence of my calling enables me to overcome every difficulty without shame. For I have an intimate revelation of this God. And my faith in him convinces me that he is more than able to keep all that I have placed in his hands safe and secure until the fullness of his appearing. I know him. I know him. As I was preparing for this and as we've been praying over the last 10 days, I've sensed this God, you know, lifting us and calling, him unto, calling us unto himself. And I was reminded of this and I feel like it's appropriate to share today, this is a word that came to Pastor Tasha. I don't know if she has in here what date that was. 07, there you go. People have it. Many of you were here even in that prayer time when this came. But I believe it's, it's appropriate, something for us to focus on right now. It's called, Will You Come Unto Me? It says, I have, it says Will You Come Unto Me? I have something to say. Will you quiet yourself? Will you come unto me and set aside all else? We can have sweet communion, the kind I desire. Will all of your heart bows down in honor? 
to reverence me and who I am in you. There is so much in my heart for us to do. My plan is not single. It can't be done by me alone. It requires a church that will bow before the throne. To give, you, to give of your time and your heart and your life. To put aside selfishness, offenses, and strife. You'll experience my joy as I work through your hands. Us walking together has always been my plan. You are my vessel formed to hold me. You will never be satisfied till that you do see. So open your heart and open your spirit. Open your ears so when I speak, you can hear it. I have something to say. Will you quiet yourself? Will you come unto me and set aside all else? A single heart and mind I require if you want to go to a place that is higher. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Oh, yes, you will see. It's the place where I live in you and you live in me. So come, don't stop. Come every day, for this truly is the new and the living way. I have something to say. Will you quiet yourself? Will you come unto me and set aside all else? I believe Jesus is calling to us. God is calling to us. He has something to say. It's setting aside everything else and opening our ears to hear what is he saying to me right now. There's something incredibly powerful in recognizing this relationship that God wants to develop in us and the things he wants to do. We have so many promises that God has brought to us. And in that place of fellowship, God wants to develop a stronger faith that he's ever developed in us before because the things that are before us are going to take more trust. They're going to take more confidence in who God is in us to go beyond religion, to go beyond just saying that I believe, but a true conviction that God is who he said he is, that God has plans and that we have fellowship with him and drawing to that place of great confidence in who he is makes a difference in how we view what we are going to encounter. To develop that faith that is what John said in 1 John chapter 5, that this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That faith that worketh by love, faith really can't be generated or, or really uh, build to the place that it does without love. And the fellowship that we have with God develops a dynamic of knowing how much he loves us and loving him in return. That fellowship, that constant fellowship with him stirs up that love. And in that love, there's greater trust than ever before. In a depth of loving God and knowing how much he loves us, it's in that place that we realize and understand that if he loved me so much that he would send Jesus to die for me when I didn't even know him, how much more that, I, that now that I am a son and a daughter, how much more will he provide what I have need of? When I didn't know him and I needed salvation, he provided the blood of Jesus. How much more as a son and daughter is he going to look down when I know him and I'm in love with him, provide what I need? And the faith that we need is built not just by quoting, and, and I believe in all that. It's all good to quote and to, 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 to meditate on that word like we should. But when we get into that place where we know the author, where we know him, 
The meditation of that, it's not just reciting and saying it over and over and thinking about it, but it's drawing the wisdom out of those words that we're meditating. It's drawing the wisdom out of that because we have fellowship with him. That when we confess something, we're declaring it, we're speaking it over a matter, not just as a matter of rote, not just as a matter of memory, not just as a matter of repetition, but we're saying it with authority, we're saying it with conviction, because we've been with the one who wrote it, and it's come, the wisdom of that moment, that wisdom of that word is down in our hearts to speak it with a conviction that comes from the person that's behind it. That when we declare the name of Jesus, we're not just saying something that we're wondering about, but we know him who possesses that name, and we know what he's done, and what he's said, and what he's declared, and the price that he's paid, and that he's presented it before us to do in his name. Praise the Lord. And so there's a difference between people who fellowship with God and how they handle situations and people who don't. I just want to take a few moments to talk about Numbers chapter 13 and the 12 spies that went in to spy out the land of Canaan, the promise of God. Ten spies went in when they all came back. You know, they were there to spy out the land, to see what the land looked like, to see what the people were like, to see what the cities were like. And so they brought a report of that, but they added some things on their own. And 10 of them came back with what we call a bad report, and two of them came back with a good report. What really set aside the two? What what set apart the two from the 10? And the 10 with their report, the crowds went with the 10 with their report. And the two, it looked like, were standing alone, but the two that stood alone ended up possessing that very promise. Numbers chapter 13, and starting in verse 26. It says, now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of Jordan. If you're going to read through and look at this, you can read this, and then you can go read Joshua and find out how he defeated all of these people. Then we jump down to verse 32. It says, And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we see in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and they were like great. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. In other words, in their own place of living, they began to see themselves as something that different than what God saw them. And the moment they began to see themselves differently than God saw them, they assumed that everyone else saw them that way. But Joshua and Caleb were different. Joshua and Caleb in 
Numbers 13, 30, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once to take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. In chapter 14, verse 6, it says, But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. It's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, there's a great difference between the ten spies and Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb knew that God was with them. The ten doubted that God was with them. They began to see the problem and the people bigger than what they could accomplish. But Joshua and Caleb looked at the promise of God and said, there's nothing that can keep us from the promise of God. What set those two apart? Why did they answer the way that they did? Well, I believe it's this, Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 7. It says, Moses uh, took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord, uh, that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshiped each man at his own tent. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He did not depart from the tabernacle. See, when prayer time was over, Moses got up. He went back to the camp. Everybody's like, whew, Moses is back. All right, let's get on about business. Joshua stayed and fellowshiped with God. He stayed and he prayed and he prayed and he got into fellowship with God. The others just went about their daily business, but he fellowshiped with God. So when it came time to look into the promised land and to see that there were giants in the land, his presence, his perspective was God is with us. Why? Because he had spending, been spending time and God had been spending time with him and he knew the difference. When you come on to insurmountable things that everybody is worried, everybody is concerned, everybody's wondering, as Alan said, what is going on? There's a way that you can say, listen, I know what's going on, and I know what to do about it. Why? How do you know that? Because God is with us. How do you know that? Because I've been spending time with him. Numbers 14, 24, and the Message Bible says this of Caleb. He says, but my servant Caleb... This is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. And I'll bring him into the land that he scouted out and his children will inherit it. Joshua and Caleb stood out from the other ten because they passionately followed God. They passionately fellowshiped with God. 
They didn't just go in the ordinary routine of life, but they stopped and they passionately fellowshiped with God. In this place of fellowship with God, we begin to see that everything else springs from that place. The psalmist said this in Psalms chapter 63. I love this. He said, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. In that place of fellowship with God, that yearning for who God is, we grow in an intimate relationship with our Father, God. When we begin to get to that place of fellowship with God, then we become to that place that Peter wrote about in 1 Peter chapter 5, where we can roll all of our care over on him. So how can I roll all my worries and all my cares and all my offenses and all my anxiety? How do you just roll it over on him? Because you know that he cares for you. How do I know that he cares for me? Because I've been spending time fellowshipping with him. I understand that he knows, and as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, that he doesn't want us driven and governed by anxiety. So he said, listen, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation, let your steadiness not be up and down by anxiety and stress. Let your moderation be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't let anxiety begin to govern your life. Don't let stress and worry begin to uh, dominate your life. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When everything tries to attack your mind and your heart, and cause you to be so stirred up and anxious that it begins to govern your decision-making. It begins to govern your sleep patterns. It begins to govern everything that you do. God says you're not to be governed by that. You're supposed to be governed by my word and by my spirit, by my presence. He said, my peace will come upon you because I want you governed by peace. We come into that place of fellowship with him and delighting in him. He says, the psalmist said uh, in Psalms 37, he says, 37, 4, he said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. See, the prayer of faith becomes so powerful and so successful when we know who God is and his desires become our desires. See, if we're not careful, we're just living out here. We're living in a religious idea and a thought pattern of religion. We begin to think, you know what? God wants what I want. God wants what I want. 
And so we start asking God and saying, why didn't you meet my desires? But what God wants is us to know him so intimately and so personally that his desires become our desires. And when his desires become our desires, the prayers of faith become evident and they become well known that when Jesus was saying, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Why? Because I've been fellowshipping with God and he's put that desire in me. And if he's put that desire in me, he has every intention on fulfilling it and bringing it to pass in my life. So I don't have to worry about that place because my desires are his desires. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Before that, he said, listen, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If we abide together, if you abide in me and I abide in you, there's a place where my word then will abide in you and you will abide in my word. And he said, you will ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you that my father would be glorified in heaven. In 1 John, Alan read this Last week, he said, this is the confidence that we have in him, not the confidence that we have in us, the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he's heard us. And if we know that he's heard us, we know the petitions that we ask of him. You can stand up. And lastly, in James, the fifth chapter, it tells us that Elijah who was a person, an ordinary person with light passions like as we are, was a prayer to such extent that when he prayed for it to stop raining, it stopped raining. And when he prayed for it to rain, it rained. And he said, the effectual, fervent, the Amplified says it like this, the effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man or woman makes much power available, dynamic, and it's working. How do we have powerful prayers? They become heartfelt. How do they become heartfelt? Because we've been fellowshipping with God. With God. I want to encourage you as we end this 10 days of prayer and fasting that you don't think, well, we're at the end and you just go back to normal. But even more so, you move into a place of saying, God, I want to fellowship with you. I want to fellowship with you every single day. I want to get to know you better than I've ever known you before. I want to know your, not just your thoughts. I want to know your ways. I want to know your acts. I want to know you because that's what Jesus died for is so we could be reconciled to God and know him intimately and personally. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this season and this generation that we live in. God, I pray for each person here that they would begin to feel that drawing, that heart's desire of yours to come unto you in the day and the time that we live in, the potential of carrying around heavy burdens of life and concerns and cares exist. And Jesus, you said, if you're, we're burdened or heavy laden, to come unto you and you'll give us rest. And then you said to be yoked to you, to fellowship with you, to learn from you and find that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. So I thank you, Lord that you desire to have deeper fellowship with us. You desire to draw us into your heart that we might know you more personally, more intimately. Holy Spirit, 
I ask you to touch each and every person's heart in this place, to feel that pull, that draw, that we as a people will come unto you and find rest, that we as a people will come unto you and find your plan and your purpose for this day and this generation, that all the outside circumstances of life will not press us down, but we will rise above them, and we will see above them that what you have planned is far greater. While we look not at the seen, but the things that are unseen, we begin to live by a greater degree of faith in that which you have planned for us to walk in, and that we would do it with strength, and we would do it knowing that you are with us wherever we go. That just as Joshua and Caleb, when things look insurmountable, we say that they've lost, those things have lost their power against us. There is a promise of God out there that we will attain. And that you'll be with us to possess that promise. For whatever you've promised, you're well able to perform it. So we thank you. We thank you. And right now, I don't want to leave without this opportunity if you're here or you're watching. And you say, I've never even, I don't, I don't know anything about fellowship with God. Maybe you're concerned. Maybe you're listening right now because you want to know. Well, the way to that fellowship is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He paid and shed his blood. He died on the cross, not just to get you to heaven. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, but he broke the power of sin so that he could reconcile you to God. The Bible says that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. And everything is of God who has reconciled us, made us right with himself so that we could have that fellowship. Receiving him as Lord and Savior of your life, receiving him into your heart is where that fellowship begins because the past has been broken and the guilt and shame of sin has been broken and now we enter into an intimate personal fellowship with the one who redeemed our life from those things that we might live in peace and joy and strength to encounter all things that life has with him. If that's you, that you've never you said, I've never accepted Jesus into my heart. This is not about church attendance. This is about fellowship with God. If you've never done that, let's all pray this together. Say, Father God, I come to you right now. I'm done living life my way, separate from you. And so I desire to come into that place of fellowship. So today I lay down my life. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead, that I might be forgiven, justified, and reconciled to you. So I declare you as Lord of my life, and I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says that you've become born again. You've entered into the life of God. If you're in this room, the altar workers will be up here right after service. We'd like to give you just a pack of three small books that will help you move from this day forward in that relationship with God. If you're watching online, you can go on, on online and push the button that says, uh, tell your story, uh, share your story, and uh, tell us that you received Jesus Christ. We'll like to, we'd love to get that material into your hands. Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed.